Hey, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we pick up in verse 15. Romans 6, uh, verse 15. The Holy Spirit is here with us. Let's invite the Holy Spirit afresh as we study the word this morning. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, that you live inside of us. We pray that you would instruct us, that you would teach us, give us ears to hear. Thank you for the freedom that we've received from sin and help us to be able to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There was a Japanese soldier who was on a Philippine island, and he did not accept that World War II had ended in August of 1945. And he actually stayed on that island for 29 years in hiding. 29 years in hiding. You can, you can look him up until his commanding officer came and released him of duty. That's a long time to have freedom and not walk in it. The war is done. Hey, you can move on uh, with, with your life. And what Romans chapter 6 teaches us is the victory has been won. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. But will we walk in it? Our commanding general, the hero of our faith, Jesus Christ, says you're, you're free from sin. The flow of the book of Romans is, first is the black backdrop of our sin, our depravity, that causes the gem of the gospel to be highlighted. We're justified freely by God's grace, declared righteous by faith. When we trust Christ for salvation, we're declared righteous. Chapter 6 takes a different turn, shifts gears, and goes from justification to sanctification that the power of sin has been broken in our lives. So not only by grace is the penalty of sin paid for, but also the power of sin has been broken. Last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, quite a celebration uh, together. But it's easy once Easter's over to stop thinking about the resurrection. But the resurrection is something to be enjoyed celebrated and applied every day of our relationship with God. Newness of life. We get to walk in newness of life. To reckon the old man dead and yield ourselves to God. So the second half of Romans chapter 6 really emphasizes yielding ourselves to the Lord, walking in this new life that we have received. What then, verse 15 Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. The first question in chapter 6, verse 1 was, because grace abounds, where sin abounds, should we continue in sin? Same answer, certainly not. Perish the thought, God forbid. The second question is, we're not under the law, we're under grace, so should we continue in sin? What does it mean to not be under the law? We're not under the law in the sense that the law drives us to Christ. It shows us our need for Christ. Now we're saved by grace, not through the law. Aren't you thankful that we're not under the law this morning? There'd be no hope for us if we were under the law. But we're under grace. The word under speaks of covering, to be under an umbrella, under a cloud. The children of Israel traveling through the wilderness, God provided a cloud. We're under grace in Jesus Christ. His unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. And being under grace, 
Would we then take the grace of God and have this attitude of, I'm just going to continue in sin? I'm not going to have conviction in regards to sin? Same answer. Certainly not. God forbid, perish uh, the thought. In verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Paul gives us this principle through illustration of slavery. He's getting the attention of his readers in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. One third of the population in the Roman Empire are slaves. You process that for just a moment. If you were to take a third of the sanctuary, a third are slaves. One out of every three people that you see are are slaves in the Roman Empire. So they understand slavery. And Paul is not condoning slavery, not saying that God is for slavery, but he's using it as an illustration to say, we have a choice to make if we're going to be slaves to God, slaves to righteousness, or slaves to unrighteousness and slaves to disobedience. The hallmark of slavery is obedience. Slaves didn't have a choice whether they would obey or not. And for us to be able to say, I'm settling this issue in my heart that I'm a slave to righteousness. There's two masters here in verse 16, slaves to sin leading to death or slaves to obedience leading to righteousness. But whatever you present yourself to, whatever we yield ourselves to, we will be a slave to obey. Uh, We see this in the natural world the nutrition and food. You know, if we yield ourselves over to to junk food, that's what our body craves. That's what we want. But if we yield ourselves over to to good and nutritious food, all those green vegetables and stuff, that's what your body starts to crave. At least that's what I've heard. That's what I've been told. (laughs) What are you yielding yourself over to? What are you giving yourself over to? If we yield ourselves to to unrighteousness, we're going to be a slave to unrighteousness. But if we yield ourselves to righteousness, we'll we'll be a slave to righteousness. I want to illustrate this through two lives in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament because it provides pictures of New Testament principles. So we've got principles in the New Testament with Old Testament pictures. Samson is a man who yielded himself to unrighteousness And it led to death. It's been said of Samson that he was a he man with a she weakness. So he's this big, strong man that the Spirit of God was using powerfully. His life had been set apart from conception. His mom was barren. God speaks to mom and dad, I'm going to give you a child. This child's going to be set apart to take the Nazarite vow. Samson, in his heart and his mind, must have been giving himself over to lust, giving himself over to this she weakness. This young man, he wants to be married. Where does he go? To the Philistines. These were the enemies of the children of Israel. Gross idolatry. And he sees, sees lust of the eyes, a Philistine woman and goes to his parents and says, I've got to marry her. Mom and dad say, wait a second, this is not God's will for you. 
But they allow Samson to, to marry this Philistine. It was a train wreck from, from the beginning. That marriage doesn't work and dissolves quickly. We read on in Judges, and Samson sees a harlot in Timnah and goes and has relationship with her. He's operating as a slave to this sexual sin that he allowed in his life. Comes to the valley of Sorek, and he falls in love, quote-unquote, with Delilah, a woman of, of folly. It's been said that sin makes you stupid, and Samson's life is proof of it. As he's dating Delilah, she's saying, tell me the source of your strength. So he makes up lies, and then she attempts that on him, and he still has his, his strength. You'd think he would run for his life, but in his stupidity, he stays with Delilah. She gives the old, well, Samson, if you love me, you'll tell me where the source of your strength is. Samson's like, okay, all right. If you cut my hair, I'm going to be as, as weak as any other guy. Wakes up and his hair's cut off. But what's most sad about this is Samson doesn't even realize that the Spirit of God had departed from him. That's how calloused his heart got. The Philistines capture him, pluck out his eyes. He's blinded. They put him to a millstone. They bind him to a millstone and he pushes this millstone around like a beast. So he's blinded, he's binded, and he's grinded. That's what sin does. Samson's a picture. If you think about, well, what happens if I yield myself to unrighteousness? Well, sin's going to blind us. It's going to bind us, and it is going to grind us. It's going to lead to death. And you're saying, well, wait a second, Eric. I, I thought you said we're under grace. We absolutely are. The forgiveness of sin, justified, declared righteous. The power of sin is, is broken in our lives as well. But God in his love for us allows us to experience consequences for our decisions. If we continue to yield ourselves to unrighteousness, he'll allow us to get the fruit of that. Where the battle is, where it's won and lost is in our mind. Yielding ourselves to the Lord or yielding ourselves to unrighteousness. On the flip side of this, we have Joseph. Joseph's young man who gets sold as a slave by his brothers to Egypt. With brothers like that, who needs friends, right? They're jealous of Joseph. They sell him as a slave. Here he is, a foreigner in Egypt, doesn't speak the language, doesn't have any family, sold as a slave to Potiphar. How easy it would be for him to walk in compromise, but instead he walked in integrity. In his heart and mind, he's surrendering himself to the Lord. He's walking with the Lord. God is with him. Potiphar sees something special in Joseph and over time puts him in charge of his whole house. Doesn't even have to look into things because he knows things are going to be handled right with integrity in Joseph. But here's Potiphar's wife. And she's got it bad for Joseph. And every day the scripture tells us she would try to seduce Joseph. Remember, Joseph's a slave. He's got to continue to, to do his job. How discouraging that would be for Joseph to say, I wonder what today's going to be like. Well, the boss's wife's going to try to seduce me. And that's not what I want. Every day say, saying no to her. One particular day, no one's in the house except for 
Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and she sees her opportunity, tries to seduce Joseph once again. But Joseph's already decided. He's already decided before that moment of temptation. If we wait until the moment of temptation to decide what we're going to do, it's too late. He'd already decided, I'm going to be a slave to righteousness. She grabs onto his coat, and Joseph says, how can I do this against the Lord? There it is, his worship, his integrity, his heart for the Lord. It came out in that moment of temptation and he runs. He literally runs the other way and she's able to grab his coat and accuses Joseph of rape. Joseph goes to prison. God's still with him. And ultimately, God raises him up to be second in command to Pharaoh. Samson, Joseph. Joseph leading to righteousness, leading to life. Samson, leading to death. The new covenant, the fact that Christ is risen, our sin is paid for, it's buried, we're risen in newness of life. No matter what our past is, we have the opportunity this morning, because the tomb is empty, to walk in this newness of life and yield ourselves, present ourselves as slaves to obedience. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, that you obey from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. But God be thanked. The goodness of God that he allows us to no longer be slaves of sin. We have a new master. There's a transfer that has taken place. When did it take place? When we obeyed from the heart the doctrine of the gospel. When we believed in our heart that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins and rose again, inviting him to be the Lord of our lives. That has taken place in our lives. God's delivered us to where we no longer are slaves to sin. In verse 18, in having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. This is what Christ has done in our lives. We're set free from sin so that now we should be slaves of righteousness. It's already decided. It's already determined. When we're faced with a temptation of sin, when it's presented to us by our flesh, the world, by Satan, the enemies of our soul, it's no, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to Christ, I'm a slave to righteousness, I'm I'm walking with the Lord. And God has purchased us, he's purchased us to become slaves of righteousness. One of my favorite stories is Les Mis, written by Victor Hugo. It's a fictitious story, but it really captivates the heart and mind because you have Jean Valjean who gets thrown into this French prison because he steals in order to provide for his hunger. It's great poverty. He's hungry. He steals, gets thrown in prison. In this prison, a lot of brutal labor, just just laboring under these terrible conditions, this work camp, and he escapes from prison. And as he's escaping, they're chasing him, and he dips into a home, and it turns out to be the home of a priest. And the priest gives him refuge, allows him to spend the night. In the middle of the night, he steals valuables from, from the priest, the valuable silverware and these val- valuable candlesticks. Gets caught, brought back to the priest, and the priest says, you know what? I actually gave those to Jean Valjean. He gives grace to Jean Valjean. That would have been it for Jean Valjean if he says, hey, you stole, stole these from me. And after the police leave, 
The priest says this to Jean Valjean. My brother, you no longer belong to what is evil, but to what is good. I have bought your soul to save it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Through grace, the priest says, your soul has been bought. Even more so with the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been bought. God has purchased us. Our life doesn't belong to us anymore. He saved us by grace to not leave us in sin. But for us to walk differently, to be changed and transformed and to now be slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Paul's saying, I'm doing my best to give you an illustration because of the weakness of your flesh, the weakness of our hearts and minds to to understand the things of God. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. We can think back prior to knowing Christ as our Savior, there wasn't much struggle with sin, was there? Men... We're tempted, we give into it, we're walking in sin, we're walking in this lifestyle of sin. Now that we're new creations in Christ, in the same way that we used to present ourselves to sin, let's present ourselves to righteousness. Paul is being very practical here. You may want to underline these three words, presented your members, members. He's talking about our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet, our mind, our heart. God, I'm giving my physical being to you. And the way I used to give myself to unrighteousness, now I'm giving myself to righteousness. I'm choosing to to walk in this newness of life that you have granted to me as slaves of righteousness for holiness. I got to see this and witness this uh, in my dad's life. My dad came to know Christ in his early 20s and my mom as well. And there were a few moments where his integrity really shined. Uh, We would go hunting in uh, southern Oregon with our best friends, Brendan and Jared, and and their dad, Dave, and, and my brother. We were hunting and all young out there and had finished the day hunting, hopped in our friend's Bronco and driving back to camp. And here comes this beautiful buck just just right in front of the headlights of the bronco deer in headlights is a real thing just standing there waiting to be shot well it's illegal to shoot deer after the sun goes down you can't do it right all four of us young teen boys are saying shoot it shoot it shoot it and it got quiet and you could tell my dad was thinking about it and their dad, Dave, was, was thinking about it. And my dad said, no, we can't do that. It's wrong. We wouldn't be having integrity if, if, if we did that. So dad had already decided long before that moment that he was going to walk in integrity. Like that was, that was already decided in his heart and mind. Christ has died for me. I'm a believer in Christ. I'm, I'm going to, to walk in integrity. What do you do when it comes tax time? Thankfully, it's over for this year, but... It's coming for next year. And you're like, I could have integrity and report this in a God-honoring way. Or I could lie in in these ways. No, I've already chosen. I'm going to be a slave of righteousness. Christ has 
redeemed me. I'm going to give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give unto God the, the thing that are God's. What do you do when it's late at night and you're online? What are we doing online late at night anyway? And here comes some temptation to look at things that don't glorify the Lord. No, I've already decided. I've already decided I'm a slave of righteousness. My, my eyes belong to, to the Lord. What happens in that moment of temptation at work where it's like I could cut corners, I could be dishonest, or I could choose to, to walk in integrity in this? Nope, I've already decided I'm a slave of righteousness. It's already been set in my heart and in my, in my life. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. When we were slaves to sin, there wasn't righteousness in our lives. There wasn't godly character in our lives. In verse 21, what fruit do you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. We shouldn't live or walk in condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus to know the forgiveness of our our sins. God forgets our sins. He chooses to forget our sins. But I think it's healthy for us to not forget the sin that God has forgiven us from. Why? Well, one, it causes us to rejoice in his grace and forgiveness. It produces humility in us. But it also helps us to not go back to that life of, of sin. Remember accurately. That's what Paul's encouraging us. And the things that you used to do that now you're ashamed was, what was the fruit of those things? The end of those things was, was death. Why would you go back to that? The children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, looked back to their time as slaves in Egypt with fondness. They didn't remember it accurately. They go, oh, remember the leeks and the onions back in, in Egypt? Like, how good are leeks and onions, right? It's a picture of sin. Pharaoh is a picture of sin, that, that old man. And we can look back at our life before Christ and go, you know, there were aspects to that that was pretty fun. Really? Well, what was the fruit of all of that? I used to have so much fun when I wasn't walking with the Lord. Now that I'm a believer and hanging out with Christians, they're so, so boring, right? Now I go to bed early. Those, those type of things, those type of thoughts. No, remember it accurately. What was the fruit of those things? It just brought shame. It just brought, brought death. Don't, don't go back to those things that God has, has called us out of. In the Proverbs, it says if, if we go back to our sin, it's like a dog returning to its vomit. Why do dogs do that, right? But when we choose to go back to, to the sin that God has saved us from, it's like a dog returning to its vomit. Verse 22, but now, having be set, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. This has taken place in our lives. You have been set free from sin. The power of sin has been broken in our lives and we have become slaves of God. He's our Lord. He's our master. So now the fruit of holiness resulting in life and in resulting in everlasting life. It's in obedience to Christ that we experience the abundant life. What is the value of holiness? What is the value of, of walking with the Lord? There's a lot of different aspects to the value of holiness. 
And it's, it's a blessing in relationships. We could go on and on. But the chief, the greatest reward of holiness is greater fellowship with Jesus. You may want to write down 1 John 1. Because there Jesus tells us that he's light. And we can't fellowship with him when we're walking in darkness. Because light and darkness don't coexist. It's going to be one or the other. So if we want deep, personal, close fellowship with Christ, then we've got to walk in the light. We've got to walk in holiness. The greatest reward of holiness is deeper fellowship with Jesus. Deeper understanding of who he is. Thankfully, we don't lose our salvation when we're in sin. But it is going to hinder our fellowship with Christ. It's going to hinder our closeness with Christ. In verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. With these two masters that are contrasting here, the old master pays wages. The wages of sin is death. You get what you deserve. Speaks of eternal death, hell, eternally being separated from the Lord, physical death, dying in this life. But thankfully, God doesn't leave us there. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our new master, Christ is our our master. He doesn't pay wages, He gives the gift of grace, the gift of eternal life. Well, how do you receive this free gift? How do you open up this gift? Through faith, by believing that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose again. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The free gift of, of salvation. And this free gift of salvation, it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Lord. This is a fitting way for Romans chapter 6 to end because Jesus is Lord. We have to get this squared away in our relationship with him that he is our authority. Now, is it true that Jesus is your friend? Yes. John tells us that he is our friend because he lets us know his will. He called his disciples his friends. But please understand that this is not like any other friendship. We are not peers with Jesus. And Jesus died and he rose again to be our Lord, which means that he's our master and he has our allegiance and he has our obedience. When Jesus asks us to follow him and to walk in his ways, it's not a suggestion. It's not like, well, if you see the value in this, And you feel like it. Why don't you go ahead and and follow me? He says, no. Follow me. He challenges us. He invites us. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, then let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Because if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Christ loves us so much that he died for our sins and rose again so that we could be forgiven and so that we don't have to stay in that place of sin in our lives. It would be nice if this issue of obedience, this issue of allegiance to Christ got solved in one moment in time or 
this Sunday morning at the nine o'clock service, we're like, Jesus, you're my Lord. I'm presenting myself to you. I'm a living sacrifice. Well, the problem with living sacrifices is we tend to crawl off the altar, don't we? So this has to be a lifestyle of waking up in the morning and getting in the habit of worship, of saying, Lord, I'm presenting myself to you. I'm choosing today to follow you. I'm choosing today to be a slave of righteousness. I'm giving you my thoughts and my eyes and my ears, my heart, my hands, my feet. And then throughout the day, continuing to surrender ourselves uh, to the Lord. Because our flesh is active. Our, our flesh does scream out, has been destroyed, but will still scream out in temptation to us. I think for all of us, there's at least one or two areas where we go, you know, there's this pattern of sin in my life in this area, whether it's lust or covetousness or bitterness or, or jealousy or worry. I'm just, it continues to get the best of me and appears to be a Goliath in my, in my life. It's difficult for us to believe that we can actually have victory in that area of sin. But good news, the tomb happens to be empty. Christ has risen from the dead. So because of his resurrection, based on his authority, anger doesn't have the final word. Lust doesn't have the final word. Bitterness, covetousness doesn't have the final word. Christ has the final word. The victory's been won. Now we get to walk in it. We get to apply the blood of Jesus to our hearts and to our lives. That the power of sin is broken, but also the penalty of sin is broken. As I've been thinking and praying about Romans 6, I really believe that it's God's heart for all of us to walk in the freedom that's been provided by him. God wants us to experience that freedom. He doesn't want us to be in this place where we're continuing to be slaves of sin. It was on my heart last week with the first half of Romans 6. Continues to be on my heart this Sunday. For me personally, areas of struggle of sin in my life. No, Eric, you don't have to continue. There's freedom to be had. You can walk in this newness of life. For us as a, as a church family, it's been buried we're risen. We're new creations in Christ. So let's walk in it. Take Romans 6 and pray through it. Meditate upon it. Memorize some of this section of scripture. And those moments of, of temptation. Reckon the old man dead. I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive to Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't have to go down this path any longer. Choose to be a slave for righteousness because this is what the truth of Scripture is saying is over time and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's actually going to be more normal to walk in righteousness than in unrighteousness. It's actually going to be more part of our character to say, man, I'm being tempted here, but I know that this is how God wants me to live. And so I'm surrendering my, myself uh, to Christ. We get the privilege of celebrating a communion together. And once everyone is passed, we're going to take communion corporately uh, together.
the men are going to serve us in, in just a moment. You can grab one set of cups. Donnie uh, prepares communion and has gone to the extra work of putting the bread in the bottom cup and then putting the juice in another cup so you can just grab one set of cups. And as we're being led in worship, let's spend time with the Lord. Let him speak to your heart of the goodness of God, that the power of sin is broken and also the penalty of sin has been paid for as well. So let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion. Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. You've instructed us to do this in remembrance of you. So we pause, we wait upon you, we celebrate communion this morning, and we remember your broken body, your shed blood, that causes us to be forgiven and for the power of sin to be broken in our lives as well. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.